You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. All right. Well, welcome to the Clear Creek uh, Resources Podcast. My name is Tiffany Havaducci. I'm the guest host uh, for today, and you are Pastor Aaron Lutz. <laughs> you Hi. can just call me Aaron. That's cool. Yeah. Well, cool. It, actually, in my house, you are lovingly referred to as Churchman. Yep. So, yep. Your got your daughters. That's not my name at church. Yep. Yes, you are Churchman. So, welcome, Churchman, <laughs> uh, to you. the Clear Creek Podcast. Uh-huh. So we are going to have a talk today um, about eternal security. So we've been kind of walking through this uh, I Am series, and we've just heard this week um, Jesus say that I am the true vine. So let's talk about that a little bit because we're trying to answer maybe some questions that come up as we interact with this text. And so there is this little section about pruning. um, And so that might bring up the question of of, can I lose my salvation? So I know that you... um, as a pastor, I'm sure have never had an unfruitful season. Is that right? <laughs> not right. Not right. Let's sit in the text for a second, right? So John, uh, in the book of John, Jesus gives these seven I am statements. That's the series that we're in. This is actually the last of the seven, right? It comes in this farewell discourse. So we're going to talk about I'm the resurrection on Easter because thematically that makes sense. <laughs> but it actually comes before this statement. So we're, we're in John 15. Uh, you're right. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Uh, he, he prunes. Like that's the, the conversation here. And so what does it mean? And later he'll say, like, really the key verse in this is, is verse five. Jesus again says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he uh, is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So what does it mean to bear fruit? Because that's the whole conversation. If you're not bearing fruit, he's pruning you. If you're not bearing fruit, it says later in the text, you'll be thrown away and burned, right? So we want to bear fruit in this text. So the image that Jesus gives us of, of the good results that come from a life of a believer um, is fruit. That, f- that if, a, if someone is a true believer in Christ, they're following Jesus, they're going to bring benefit to the lives of others around them. They're going to be part of advancing the work of God in the world, right? So we see that in Matthew 13. Jesus uses this uh, image all throughout his teaching. So in Matthew 13, he tells us parable of the seeds. We'll talk about that later. But there's good soil, and good soil then bears fruit. The fruit multiplies a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But then later, we also see in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's actually not fruits. i said that wrong. It's the fruit of the Spirit, singular, comes from the Holy Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if you think about those fruit, what of that can be practiced or displayed like outside of relationship with others? None of it, right? Mm -hmm. Fruit brings benefit to the lives of people around us. It advances the work of, of God in the world. And so and apart from him, apart from Jesus, we can do none of that. I can't advance the kingdom. I can't bear fruit without God's work in my life. So to get back to the question you asked me, uh, what about seasons that don't seem really fruitful in my life? Like, are there seasons where as a pastor, I don't feel like I'm producing a lot of fruit? And the answer is certainly true. Like, yeah, um, there are times where I lack peace. So this morning, woke up with some anxiety, like yeah, that feeling in your chest, right? And so I'm praying, like praying for peace. There's times where I'm not as kind or as gentle. I have three young kids. You have two young daughters. Like mm-hmm. there's times we lose our patience, right? And so there's this sin that has tendencies to, to live in the flesh rather than being full of the spirit. And so there's definitely times where I lack fruit in the fruit of the spirit sense. But then also think about like, am I seeing the, the fruit of multiplication uh, of the hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? 
there are times where we get to see the benefit of our work and times where we don't. So I may preach a sermon and like no one prays to receive Christ in that moment, or I don't see, you know, people responding or something. But then years later, months later, someone's like, that was the moment that God spoke to me. And so I'm reminded where Paul says, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and God brought the growth. And so when you plant, you don't always get to see the fruit of your labor, right? That's, that's for every spiritual gift, not for me as a pastor. That's for you and your role. That's for others with other roles. Like we don't always see the benefit of the fruit, but, but God is still advancing his kingdom through that. So did that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's already really helpful um, to think about it both long-term and short-term. And I think because a lot of times whenever we're in it too, we almost don't see the incremental growth that we're going through. So it's helpful to hear. Um, But before we uh, jump into a discussion about whether or not it's possible to lose our salvation, so let's talk a little bit about how we find it then. Yeah. So how does one receive salvation? What is salvation? Good, good. So salvation is just defined as deliverance, right? It's, It's rescue. So specifically when it comes to theological salvation, we're talking about uh, rescue from our sin, rescue from its consequences. And so we would define the gospel as just good news, who Jesus is and what he's done to save us from our sin. The reason that's good news is because we need to be saved. And the scriptures would say we cannot save ourselves. So Jesus is the son of God. He puts on flesh. He lives a perfect life, died the death we deserved, pays the penalty for our sin, is risen again so we could be reunited with God. That is the good news. So when you come to how do we receive that, uh, the text that comes to mind for me all the time, which we're going to open the scriptures a lot today because this is one of those kind of podcasts. Yeah. Right? This isn't just, here's, <laughs> my kind of here's our opinion on something. This uh-huh. is, we're looking at the, the text. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the key text where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift or the grace of God, this undeserved favor. And then he clarifies, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Um, So grace is a gift that we receive. So how do we receive that good news? By faith through grace, right? Yeah, I I like how you put that. I think because sometimes even it seems like we have to say a certain prayer in in a certain order, like there's magic in the words or something, right? right? Or maybe um, we heard an altar call Mm -hmm. and then we responded, we walked forward. So there's no magic in those words. There's no... There's no thing that happens as you're walking, right? It's a decision that you've made to surrender your life to Christ. So I think that's really helpful. Um, So then let's let's talk about the big question. Hey, before we get there, let's sit there for just a second, because I think you said some really significant things. Ephesians 2 tells us what it is and what it's not. So Mm -hmm. it's not just magic words in a prayer. It's not just a walk down an aisle. And I would say Ephesians tells us it's not a result of works. So it's not Mm -hmm. a result of some good thing that I do. It's not a result of being religious enough. If I show up to church enough, if I pray enough, if I whatever enough. Um, there's an old Billy Sunday quote, like going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car, right? Yes. Like, uh-huh. The place isn't the thing. It's about the grace of God in your life. So Jesus died for your sins. And so uh, it's acknowledging that I've sinned in my life and admitting like I can't get to Christ on my own, believing in the gospel. But it's, it's more than just belief because the scriptures also say even the demons believe mm-hmm. they shudder in fear. So receiving the gospel is also about making Jesus Lord of our life. And so that's kind of how we get to that place of like, all right, how do we know if I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, have you received grace by faith through grace? And so that's to answer that into that question. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Perfect. Cool. (laughs) A plus. Uh, Okay. So then the big question of today is, so then can we lose it? 
Yeah. So the reason we're asking this question is because back to John 10 or John 15, we're talking about the vine dresser. It's like, well, Jesus is pruning some people. There's people who are not bearing fruit. And so were those people Christians and now they're losing their salvation or those non-Christians to begin with? And so the, the big question is, can I lose my salvation? And let me just give the, the short answer. The way I understand the scriptures, the way that we're trying at Clear Creek to be faithful to the text and interpret the scriptures the way that we believe God has revealed them to us is that no, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But this is a super nuanced discussion. Mm. If the answer was just no, this would be a very short podcast. Right. right? <laughs> and so a lot of times people want to answer that question with the really trite statement like once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a nice little phrase, but there's so much more to this conversation than just that, that statement. Um, so not only is it a, a nuanced conversation, I'm going to answer the question. We're going to answer the question again. <laughs> not only is it a nuanced conversation, but I want to acknowledge there are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who disagree on this issue, right? This has split denominations. It has split, uh, you know, small groups and conversations, but uh, they just interpret texts that we're going to look at in different ways. And so there may be a day we're in heaven with people who disagree on this and we're going to be like, oh, that's what you meant, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> right? I am humbly now wrong about yeah. that when I was on earth. Uh, but as faithfully as we can, I want us to walk, you and me together, walk through why we believe we cannot lose our salvation. And so we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're not just going to talk about our opinions. We're going to look at the scripture together. So. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And even maybe even if we start like zoomed out big picture yeah. wise, um, I've been studying Exodus mm-hmm. lately and uh, it's a good reminder of, of the big picture because God's faithfulness is on full display yeah. there. In fact, I can't even really f- go get through Exodus without like wanting to bang my head against the desk, <laughs> right? Because for how unfaithful for Israel how tends to be, unfaithful yeah. Israel tends to be, and then more so because like I am Israel in that text, mm, right? right. I, I have done the same right. things they have done repeatedly, and so it's incredible to me whenever you you know you kind of stay close to the big picture as we answer this question mm. and zoom in a little bit on specific text too. But um, whenever we see God's faithfulness throughout the text, yeah. they. Israel has done, we have done, if there was a way for us to mess this up, we've tried. I mean, idolatry, Mm -hmm. turning away over and over and over again. And yet, um, God is faithful to to see his end come through on on the promises that he made, regardless of the ways that they have, you know, sinned and and fallen short over and over again. So I think let's keep that in mind as we look at some specific texts too. Um, I appreciate the way you're talking about Exodus because uh, we are Israel. We're the disobedient Israel. And then you get to the New Testament and everybody wants to look at the disciples and like, how do you not understand this? You're walking (laughs) with Jesus. And yet we're often the disciples in that, right? Right. Like uh, we are never the hero of the story. And we find ourselves in the Jesus part. We're like, dude, that that role's already taken. Uh, So you're often more Israel. You're often more the disciples. So I agree. Big picture of the Bible. Israel uh, was unfaithful to God, yet God was faithful to them. Uh, but if you go back to Ephesians 2, just going back to the New Testament, it says, by grace, you've been saved, not a result of works. So if I can't do anything to earn my salvation, what makes me think I can do something to lose my salvation? Mm-hmm. I can't do something good enough to earn God's salvation. So can I do something bad enough to lose it, right? Uh, so God's steadfast love is his decision from start to finish. We can't earn it. And we would argue you can't lose it. So some people would be like, well, what about the unforgivable sin, right? Mm -hmm. And I've heard people like, even this week say, uh, well, I can't get divorced because if I get divorced, that's the unforgivable sin. I'm going to go to hell. 
Uh, or people say suicide is the unforgivable sin because you didn't have a chance to repent before you died. And mm-hmm. y'all, neither of those are in the scripture, right? right? The only unforgivable sin we see in the scriptures is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is essentially a rejection of God's work in the world, right? We could just define it as saying the Holy Spirit has done this. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that the gospel is true. So it's hearing the gospel and refusing to believe in it, which is what we had said. Like mm-hmm. you just refuse to receive grace. And, and that is what is the unforgivable sin. So attributing the work of God to some other higher power or coincidence, but it's ultimately just a rejection of the gospel. So the main part in that is if it's by grace we're saved, if we can't earn it, what makes us think that we can lose it, right? Right, yeah, I think that's good. And even, I mean, we could stay in Ephesians for a second. Um, In in the beginning, it says, uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Yeah who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I like that because whenever I think about the process of salvation, you hear the gospel and understand it, right? That's like a head decision. Uh, You understand it logically. And then it it has to to take root in your heart. So you have to believe it. um, And that's really whenever transformation happens to then obey the gospel, right? And you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think whenever I, I look at genuine believers, that's sort of how it happens, right? It's it's head, heart, hands, whereas we're kind of trying to decipher between genuine believers and not, right? So I, it almost seems like it's the reverse order yeah. whenever it may not be a genuine believer, like they're trying so hard with their hands mm-hmm. to maybe earn God's favor or perform or or whatever the case may be that it's, it's almost backwards. And so you kind of have to have to understand that good works can look the same in a believer and an unbeliever. We can talk about more about that in a yeah, second, but yeah. it's like, are you, are you obeying because you're overjoyed by the gospel or are you trying to be obedient because you're obligated? Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's look at just a couple more texts. So I'm, the, the first verse that comes to mind for me, always we have this conversation is can you lose your salvation is John 10. So Jesus is talking about being the shepherd, being the good shepherd. And he'll make the statement after this long parable. He'll say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, right? Eternal life. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So he says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So who God chooses to save by his grace, that cannot be undone because God has said, these are my people. They hear my voice. They know me. No one can take that salvation from them, including themselves, mm-hmm. right? Including themselves. So, Yeah, I like that. I even think um, about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, which by the way, is one of my favorite yeah. places in the gospel. Sure. That's just such a cool conversation. But he's talking about um, coming to faith in Christ. And he's saying, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. This is obviously very confusing to Nicodemus, right? He's like, I thought the womb was like no returns, (laughs) refunds or exchanges. Like I don't understand. (laughs) Um, But that, that really is very permanent language. Like you're, you emphasize eternal life, right? I mean, you, if you're born again, you can't be unborn again, or think about the other ways that that salvation is described. You're, you're a new creation. You're made new. You can't be un made new. Does yeah. that does that make sure. sense? So Absolutely. I think there's even maybe a little bit of an answer just in the way that this is the analogies that are given mm-hmm. to salvation in general. Um, but I think all of that matters because uh, so after Jesus is it, within his conversation with Nicodemus, then we have the famous John three sixteen right? In which again, he promises eternal life. So that seems pretty permanent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's this all really helpful because 
we can know that we trust everything that that Jesus said is true. He he called himself one with the Father, yeah. um, and then we also know in, in Titus uh, one and Hebrews six that that God cannot lie. So mm-hmm. everything that he says about this must be true, and that's a relief, right? Because he cannot unbreak a promise. Right. He can't. He can't not see what he says through. Yeah, it's yeah. helpful. I have a friend who. Uh, you just would say like, I don't believe certain things about the Bible. It's like, well, do you believe Jesus when he said this? Mm-hmm. But you don't believe him when he says that. Right. You know, so like we don't really get to pick and choose in there. And so I, I appreciate that. Let me throw out one more passage of scripture and we can move on. But Philippians 1, just really obvious one. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if God initiates salvation in you, you can be sure that he'll complete salvation in you. Perfect. Cool. We should have just said that at the beginning. Yeah. It'd be a really short <laughs> podcast if that was the easy answer. Right? No, that, that is really good. Um, so, okay, that brings us to the next question. So okay. if salvation is secure because of God's grip on us, not our grip on him, right? Because yeah. we, we, like Israel, would have messed it up if we could have. Um, what about those who seem to walk away or renounce the faith? It's kind of the elephant in the room here, right? Because if, if salvation is secure, what about the times that it doesn't seem to be? Yeah. So what do you think? And I think that's why people ask this question, because they're right. like, I know someone who's no longer a believer. Or they were a follower of Jesus, and now they're not, right? Mm-hmm. And for a variety of different reasons. Um, my immediate thought, every time I hear that, comes to the parable of the seeds, okay? So it's interesting that you don't see the same parable repeated throughout the, the four Gospels very often. Uh, this parable is repeated in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. And the only reason John doesn't write it is because he's writing a lot later. And he's like, they covered it. You yeah. know, like <laughs> they got it. Yeah. So Jesus tells the story, and I won't go into all of it, but that some seeds fall in different, four different kinds of soil. Uh, on the path, on the rocky soil, some fall in the midst of weeds and thorns, but then some falls where there's fertile soil, where it's been tilled and prepared to accept it. And that fourth soil is the one that produces fruit. That's where you get the line we talked about earlier that hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, that's how you know they're followers of Jesus because they've produced fruit in the lives of other people around them. They've advanced God's work in them. But the other three responses are real responses people have to Jesus. So there are some people who will hear the gospel. They will never respond to God's word. They will outright reject God's character and his will. And we should know that because Jesus tells us that's going to happen. There's others in the second soil that are going to hear the gospel and they may have an initial response to it. They may be real excited about it, but it isn't lasting and they fall away in the short term. And then there's a third soil in there. It's not just like they heard, they kind of thought it was cool, had an emotional moment, and then they're gone. But the third one seems like they've tried to kind of follow Jesus for a while. Mm-hmm. It's like, so I'll, I'll read this one in Luke 8. He says, and as for those that fell among the thorns, they're they, those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, notice it comes back to fruit. The same fruit we're talking about in John 15, Right. And so there's these camps of people that hear the gospel, respond to it, and have saving faith. And then three camps of people, different types of responses, different lengths of time mm-hmm. that they're choosing to hear and not follow Jesus. Um, I, w- I want you to talk about this too, but in John 6, when Jesus says that I'm the bread of life, you know, we looked at that a couple weeks ago in the series. Uh, same thing. People have three responses to Jesus. There's some who outright reject him. They don't believe in who Jesus says that he is. There's some who follow Jesus until he says something hard and they're like, oh, I- I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. or they don't, they don't get what they want. So when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, like eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're like, no, 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 we want real bread. And if you're not providing real bread, we're out. Mm-hmm. And then there's some who are like, I'm following you to the end. I will do whatever you ask me to do, right? And so we should not be surprised when people hear the gospel, follow Jesus for a little bit till they get what they want, and then they fall away. The question we're going to need to ask is, 
were they ever truly saved, right? right. Were those people ever truly followers of Jesus in the, the salvific sense, not just a, uh, they wanted the fruit of it. So interact with me on some of that stuff. What are you thinking? Yeah, no, I think that's good. In fact, I'll, I'll jump on your, uh, your weed and good, good plant, uh, analogy here yeah. because uh, Jesus also tells a parable of the wheat and the tares. Yeah, um, Matthew 13. Yeah, and so I think that's a good way to look at this too because in that parable, um, good wheat was planted, but an enemy came and, and planted some weeds. And so as both of these plants are starting to produce, they look the same, right? right. Like we can't really tell what's right. what. And so, um, you know, you're you're wondering if, if this is actual good works, kind of like what we were talking about before, is this obligation or you're overjoyed as a response of the gospel. And so one thing that I love about that, though, is that um, in that parable, the servants, as soon as they identify there's weeds here among the good wheat, they're like, hey, master, do you want us to go and, and, and pull the weeds, right? Do you right. want us to get rid of it? And so what I love about that is that we have this glimpse of the master's heart because his response is, no, just wait until the harvest and yeah. we'll, we'll sort it all out then. And so for, for me, that's helpful because as I'm praying for um, my unbelieving friends, top five in Clear Creek language, mm-hmm. um, it shows me that he's not so eager to yeah. pull the weeds and cast judgment. He is patiently waiting for harvest. So I think that's really helpful um, to think about not just you know, the logical answers to all of these questions, but the father's heart here is, is to see these people know him. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that is key to this whole conversation. It's about the long haul. This is about the long-term look. And so again, in the soils and the, I'm the bread of life and the wheat and the tares, it's over the long haul that you see fruit. You don't always see it in the short term. And so there's a common theological phrase around this, that the perseverance of the saints is the true sign of salvation. Those who continue to follow Jesus over the long haul, right? Uh, Not always the short term. But again, this is God's work in them to give them that perseverance. It's not even something I can muster up in my my own ability. So Charles Spurgeon famously said, the saints shall persevere in holiness because God perseveres in grace. Because God continues (laughs) to give grace, they continue to persevere. And so it's like, they go through hard times, they go through trials, they listen to the hard things that Jesus says, and they're still all in, right? right? And so we don't, we don't always know the answer to like, is that person a truly a follower of Jesus until we see fruit over the long haul? Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we can see, no, they actually weren't a follower of Jesus because they didn't produce fruit and they did fall away. Mm-hmm. So the biggest text when it comes to perseverance of saints is 1 John two nineteen, mm-hmm. when he says, they went out from us, but they were never part of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us, right? Yeah. Perseverance of the saints. Yeah, that's really great. I think um, that's also even helpful as I, you know, read Paul's letters to how he encourages us to persevere yeah. and, and continue. It, it gives good, um, good illustration for that. That it's yes, you're you're eternally secure, but it's not always easy to mm-hmm. to continue down this road, right? Like the different soils that you said. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's helpful to to hear, you know. We here and Paul, <laughs> thousands of years ago, we all agree that it's not always easy, but um, but the Holy Spirit's equipping us to do that. So, Before we ask the next question, I want to go yeah. back to what you asked at the very, very beginning. Like, okay. Are there times where we don't feel particularly fruitful? Mm-hmm. And I think there's times where we could start to doubt our salvation because we're like, man, I'm just not very kind right now, or mm-hmm. I'm lacking a lot of peace. And so does that mean I'm not fruitful? And again, we have to take a long-term look at it. Mm-hmm. Over time, has God shaped you to look more and more like his son, Jesus? Has mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit been at work in your life? 
And so we've said before that, that, um, that salvation is uh, both past, present, and future, right? Mm-hmm. It's God has justified you, your sins are forgiven, but he is sanctifying you mm-hmm. and he will make you uh, perfect in heaven, right? But that's a process. So you are saved, you're being saved and you will be saved. Mm-hmm. But sanctification is not a linear movement. It's, it's not just up and to the right and growth. And so there are dips and valleys and mountains and you know valleys in that where over the long haul, am I growing to look more like Jesus? Um, not the short term. Yeah, that's so helpful. I even think back to, man, whenever I I had newborn children, yeah. you know, and I was so sleep deprived <laughs> and like I was so in survival mode that I probably didn't appear to be super fruitful mm. at that moment, right? I was very much just trying to like hang on for dear life yeah. here. Um, but that's when it's encouraging to, you know, hear, okay, this is a long-term thing, not a what's happening right now. Right. And it's not... Um, something that's threatened every day by how you're feeling or following or, right. or whatever. So that's great. That's really good. Cool. Um, so now let's talk about what we do with this information. Yeah. <laughs> so so this, again, is a very text-heavy podcast, my kind of podcast. Uh, <laughs> but what would you recommend to someone who maybe has concerns um, for their friends who have chosen to walk away uh, from Christianity or maybe they're, like, deconstructing? That's kind of a, a hot topic word right now. So... Um, what do you think? What what can we do whenever our friends seem to be like going through this? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question because this is where it gets really practical, right? It's not just like, let's have a theological debate about whether you can lose your salvation or not. It's like, we have friends that are walking through this. Like I have friends who have said, you know, I, I no longer believe this is true or uh, whatever. And so, um, so what do we do? How do we help people? What do we recommend for people that are, have friends in that, in that boat? Uh, first and foremost, pray for them, right? And so we would say, again, it's the Holy Spirit's job to open somebody's eyes to, to see the gospel. It's not your work. And so we have to ask God to do something that we cannot do. So prayer is always the first step. Um, and if, if, they, if God does answer that prayer, uh, if they do come back to the faith, if you will, then it would be because God drew, drew them, not because of anything that you did in that. Uh, and if they walk away, that's, like, that's, that's God choosing to let them do that, not because of you either, right? And so there's some freedom in just praying for people. And the second thing I would say is be patient with them because we just talked about this is a long-term thing. And so true salvation is really seen over the long haul, not this quick initial response. And so, uh, and it's also not that their lack of salvation is not revealed in a season of doubt or darkness, mm-hmm. you know? And so like be patient with people when they're in that season. So patiently answer questions when you're asked, patiently wait until God reveals truth to them. Um, and I'd say don't, don't rush people through that process. Mm. Let them ask questions. Let them walk through the difficulty and walk with them. But don't short circuit what God wants to teach them in one of those dips in their sanctification process, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I mean, I even think about that. I'm, I obviously really enjoy uh, teaching, particularly women, how to study the Bible. And yeah. one thing that we talk about there is like, Whenever you try to find quick answers to your questions, it doesn't always help and you don't always retain the thing that you learn anyway, right? Yeah. Like it's it's the process that's helpful. And I think it's the same that's true here too, right? And you're talking about being patient with them. I think along those lines, don't cut them off mm-hmm. either. You know, I think um, I, I have friends that have, have deconstructed, if that's what we're calling it. <laughs> There's lots of things that we could It's the use. buzzword. We can use the buzzword. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, so as friends deconstruct, I think it's... Um, way more harmful than helpful than to just like, okay, so I'm, I'm cutting you off. You don't believe what I believe anymore. And so therefore all relationship is severed. I think sometimes even the reason they're deconstructing in the first place 
is because they've experienced some kind of um, people hurt, right? Like they've equated things that man has done um, and they've equated it with God. So maybe they've been abused. Maybe they had a rough relationship with their dad and it's hard to figure out, you know, God is a father or maybe they've experienced church hurt. And so it just causes them to question everything. Not that questioning is necessarily bad, um, but I think just being in relationship with them and maintaining relationship with them and loving them like Christ loves them might be the next best thing to prayer that you could do yeah. for someone in that season. I totally agree. Um, and have and be empathetic with people. Like as they feel the deep emotions they feel, feel them with them. Mm-hmm. So even this morning, I had a conversation with a guy in my office who's just deeply feeling some things that have, have happened to him outside of his control, outside of his family's control. And he's like, where is God in all of this? Mm-hmm. And he's tearing up and I'm tearing up with him because right. I feel that with him. And so another part that I do with that is I say like, look, you're not alone in your feelings. Not only do I feel that because I, we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but the characters in the Bible felt what you felt. So don't feel like you have to hide that emotion from God. Like God, God can handle your emotion. <laughs> just, just read the Psalms. Like I had a, uh, a lady who was going through a really bad divorce and she was angry with God. And mm-hmm. I said, just read a Psalm a day. Just yeah. see how often David is angry with God yeah. <laughs> yes. and, and see if you're alone in that. Right. Yeah. And so uh, give people permission to feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. Don't short circuit their emotion, feel what they feel, but also drive them to the text where, where other people feel that and yet they, they respond in the end with mm-hmm. worship. You know, yeah. there's hope there. It's like, okay, I can feel what I feel and still worship at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Like, and not at the end of a Psalm where I read six chat, six verses and it's like, right. oh, now I'm done. Like right. that probably happened over a lifetime for David sure. or months or years for David. Mm-hmm. Uh, but give people hope with that too. Yeah, that's good. Uh, lamentations, right? Oh I gosh, mean, yeah. A whole gosh. book of yeah. lament. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, that's exactly what it is, right? It's this thing is happening and it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't even know what I'm feeling or what I'm believing, but it's better to just not hide it since you're omniscient and you know it anyway. Let's kind of press in. So Good word. So then what about whenever we are that person? Like that's a really real thing too. So what about whenever the person's you? Like um, what should we do whenever our own faith feels fragile or we have doubts or questions? Does that mean that we have a weaker faith? Does that mean um, we're less saved? Like what do you think? Uh, I'll go back to what we said with if it's a friend, pray. Mm-hmm. Um, just ask God to do spiritually in you what you cannot do yourself. So salvation is God's work in you, not your own. Uh, so be open to what God wants to do in your life. And the reality is if, if you hear that and you feel a conviction to pray, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. It's like, if I, if I desire to be in God's presence, then there's some, there's some seed bed in me that God's wanting to bear fruit. And mm-hmm. so I'd start with prayer. Uh, the second is I'd say, ask legitimate questions and seek legitimate answers. Mm -hmm. So with that, I mean, I have friends who like to throw out objections to the faith, right? But aren't really willing to do the hard work to find the answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. They kind of just want to throw out objections and let people hear them. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, or there's times they throw out objections and then when someone tries to answer that question, they've moved on to their other objection and they're (laughs) not really listening for the answer. Right. Um, And so we talked about this before, but the difference between agnostics and atheists, atheists would say, there is no God. I have a firm belief that there is no God. But agnostics would say, I'm waiting for further proof. I'm waiting mm. for answers. Okay, well, if that's true, 
then look. Mm-hmm. Like agnostic is not a state that you stay in. It's a, it's a looking for answers. And so a, um, an honest agnostic will ask and look for truth. So ask, listen, read, seek truth. And I really believe that, that God will reveal truth over time. And it might not be quick because this is a long-term thing. It's not a short-term thing. So pray, ask legitimate questions, seek legitimate answers. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, even I can think about for a long time in my own faith, I, I wasn't even sure that you, that that was okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, is it okay to ask questions? Is it, what does it mean that I, that I doubt? And I think some, sometimes my first reaction was like to hot potato it. Like, oh, I'm getting into like dangerous territory. What do you mean by know? that? Just describe that. Like whenever I have a doubt or a question about something, I get so uncomfortable that I ask the question or that I, that I am potentially doubting something about my faith that I just like throw that out of my gotcha. mind and try to willpower my way into believing, right? Gotcha. But I, then I came to understand uh, that actually I'm just naturally super inquisitive, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes to the annoyance of my husband when he has to listen <laughs> to, to my thoughts on things. Um, but because I'm so naturally inquisitive, like it was helpful for me to think about, just pause on that for a second. God created my mind that way. He He created me to be inquisitive. And so maybe I could use that questioning to actually help strengthen my faith instead of like freaking out about it, right? So what are my questions? How do I find the answers? Who, who can I go to to help me decipher this, right? Because yeah. I think there's, we, we could potentially do that in an unwise way too, right? Like what do you think about if I'm, if I'm questioning and doubting and I need some help finding those answers, where do I go? Yeah, I'd say go to a wise believer, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone that you trust um, that's a little bit further along in their faith. So I, I totally agree with you. I have my best friend in high school. Uh, we would sit late at night and talk about questions of faith. And it was the most, uh, it, it's what strengthened my faith more than any summer camp I went to, any mm-hmm. mission trip I went to, just like literally sitting in a hot tub in my parents' backyard as a teenager, mm-hmm. yeah. talking theology with a friend who didn't believe, strengthened my faith more than anything. Mm-hmm. And so asking the questions was helpful, but I didn't know all the answers to those questions. And with humility and honesty, I had to tell him, I don't know, but let me go find the answers. Mm-hmm. And often that was not only going to the text and trying to find that, but also going to a wise believer and saying, hey, walk with me in this. And so seeking out wise counsel, man, that's that's one of the reasons God gave us the church. Like mm-hmm. we don't read the scriptures in, um, you know, on solo. We're not solo or lone ranger Christians. We do it in community. And so bringing that to your small group, say like, mm-hmm. hey, my navigator or my, you know, mentor, my group guide or whoever, like help me walk through this person's questions because I'm struggling and I need answers. Like, I think that's a helpful thing too. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think too, if you if you're finding yourself in a season where you're deconstructing or you're, you're asking your qu- the question of why do I believe what I believe, which I think is a good question to ask. Yeah. Um, but maybe if you're, if you're deconstructing or tearing everything down, like maybe it's also helpful to think about what comes next. Like, do we just sit in the debris then, or do we build something back up? So if you're trying to figure out if what you're believing is something that's biblical or something that was passed down to you or trying to decipher what is and isn't there, um, rather than just leaving everything in shambles, then then what do you believe? Mm-hmm. And then and why do you believe it? I mean, for me, whenever I went through that season of doubt and questioning and trying to figure out what was what, what I was left with was a much more stable mm-hmm. foundation of faith, right, than I ever had in the first place. And I think that was um, maybe even what, what I realized made my relationship with God so uh, satisfying is that there were, there's always more to find out. Yeah. Like that's a really exciting thing, right? That's 
one of my favorite things about God, I don't know if we can like divide up our favorite <laughs> things about him, but that he is infinite and knowable mm-hmm. is a really big deal to me because that makes him the most satisfying relationship I'll ever have. I'm never bored. Yeah. <laughs> There's always more to know, Yeah. you know? So yeah, that's yeah. what I think. I appreciate what you said about like, uh, don't just stay in the debris, but build back up. And so what do we build back up on? And I would say you build on the essentials. Because I think sometimes people are deconstructing around some non-essentials. Man, Mm. people disagree about this. Well, there's some disagreement amongst all of Christendom. We're talking about something right now that people disagree on. Can I lose my salvation? It's a Mm non-essential. And so we would say in the essentials, it's the famous phrase. I'm going to mess it up because I'm going to try to think about it. (laughs) And you can help me fill it in if you you know it. But like uh, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have freedom. In all things, we show charity or there's love, right? Mm -hmm. And so that idea of like there are open-handed issues that we can disagree on that, uh, that, that theologically there's different interpretations on, but let's build back up on the foundation of the essentials. Let's build on the foundation of the gospel, on the character of God, on who the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And then the non-essentials, let's agree to disagree on some things, but totally. let's, let's build on the foundation of, of the essentials. Does that help? Yeah, I think that's super great. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I even have anything else to add. This was a super great conversation. Yeah, I think it's a helpful conversation. Hopefully it's helpful for our people too. Yep, I think so too. So thank you, church man. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Tiffany. Thanks for listening today. Yeah, thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.